I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, McDevitt here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there. And I'm laughing because we're also here with Ken Early, although I'm not sure if I can drag him away from his Roy Keane book for long enough to talk body, through this podcast. In body, but not in spirit. It's already dog-eared, Ken. Have you uh, read this thing twice through? Well, I don't, I don't have a bookmark, so so when I stop at a page, I like to make it dog-eared. Oh, so, so you deliberately dog-eared? Yeah. It's not just from turning it off repeatedly? It's no, I just, I just bend the page so I, so I know which pages to go back to. Uh, I, I actually... You do this in? No, no, uh, I think it's... I, I just commit the page number to memory, so that, uh, thereby ensuring that I don't uh, damage the book. You're right. Maybe something for you to think about. Ken. Your yeah. impression so far? Yeah, You've pretty, most pretty interesting. There. Some some interesting stories in it. Some ones that I'm surprised. I mean, I know we've had this um, sort of. It's all been on Twitter, and lots of excerpts have come out. But there's one that I cannot believe I hadn't seen until now. Featuring. Is this the one featuring our favourite literary character, Wally Downs? Yeah, featuring Wally Downs, our favourite member of backroom staff, uh, pretty much in English football. Last heard, we, we last heard of uh, Wally Downs in the context of a book when Neil Warnock, I think it was in his book, yeah. told the story of, what was, what, what was the it setup was Sheff- to that? Sheffield United against Reading, Yeah, uh, big, big bust up on the sideline or whatever. And according to Neil Warnock, um, when he went down to have a drink with uh, the Reading staff, uh, Wally Downs, who was in you know backroom backrooms mm. t- uh, team, uh, was sitting there in the in the manager's office wearing just a t-shirt, nothing else. Uh, Neil Warwick said that shows you the class of the man. <laughs> was his uh, his verdict Still on Still funny. Wally and Roy Keane has a story also involving uh, Wally Downs is partially involved, uh, but it, it, partially involved, but fully fully COVID. COVID yeah. Well, it's the only time I really lost my temper as a manager. Roy Keane begins, and you're thinking, hmm. Okay, what's this? Uh, uh, Sunderland Reading, a tight game. Maybe the pressure's building on me, I don't know. Steve Coppel managing Reading. He had a couple of lads working with him, Wally Downs and Kevin Dillon. I looked across at their dugout and Kevin Dillon was looking back across, calling me a wanker. I go, what, me? He goes, yeah, you're always on at the referee. I said nothing back. I never got involved with opposition managers or staff, never. Uh, But then, 
we got to half time and I'm walking back to the tunnel beside Kevin Dillon and I say, are you calling me a wanker? And he goes, well, you're always on at the referee. I said, I never said anything to the referee. I'm badlerizing this slightly. You have to, yeah, this is a <laughs> you can imagine, lot of F-bobs taken out of this. Who are you to call me a wanker? Yeah, but I went to my dressing room and thought no more of it. Uh, anyway, yeah. uh, Sunderland ended up losing. Last minute, Stephen Hunt, goal, the ball that didn't cross the line, oh, given as a goal. Yeah, yeah. Kenwin Jones yeah, has, has missed a one-on-one a couple of minutes earlier. So from they thought they were going to win 2-1, they ended up losing 2-1 to a goal that never was. Uh, you can imagine. Kenwin. At the end of the game, walking down the stairs, I saw Wally Downs shaking all my players' hands. Unlucky, lads. Generally don't see staff shaking the other team's hands. I said nothing. It had been a big win for Reading. There was a lot of celebrating. I went into our dressing room. I wasn't annoyed with the players, more with the decision. I spoke to the players and stuff. Okay, we're all upset, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, he wants to go for a drink with Steve Koppel, but he, he says, uh, I was waiting for my staff. I didn't want to go for a drink, but I kept thinking, we're Sunderland. We do things properly. The staff were taking ages. So I said, I'll go on, lads. Follow me in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, look, look, this is just, this is the way, the story, the way Roy King tells it. I walked into Steve's office. Wally Downs was there. Fully clouded. And they're fully, well, he doesn't mention, he doesn't specify. You can only assume and that he is mentioned. fully clouded. You he would mention if he's just he, there he in a t-shirt and it. nothing he else. mentioned it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, and their director of football, Nick Hammond, Kevin Dillon, was sitting down. I go, well done, lads. Well done. <laughs> Wally was right in front of me and I said, Wally, do you always shake players' hands after you've just beaten them? And he goes, yeah, Roy, yeah, yeah. And as I was talking to Wally, Kevin Dillon stood up and said, don't you come in here and... I grabbed him, got his head on the table and pulled his tie up. I'm warning you, Nick Hammond grabbed me. What are you doing? Uh, you, this is where it almost gets difficult. You can imagine the tone of this exchange now. There's a lot of F-bombs being thrown around in this manager's office as this scene with, with you know, holding a man's head in while well, grabbing his tie, you know, a noose. Uh, get out of our office! I went, F you, anyway. Dylan said, what, what are you having a go at me for? I'm a Sunderland man. Uh, I went, he tells Dylan where to go. And I walked out. My staff hadn't come in yet. I wasn't going back to Sunderland that night with the players. I was going home to Manchester, so I had a car waiting for me to bring me to Heathrow. My phone went off about ten minutes later. It was one of my staff. Everything all right, Gaffer? <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't given them a heads up about what had happened in Steve Coppel's office. They'd followed me in after I'd left. All right, lads. Uh, and somebody said, your manager has just attacked one of our staff. And apparently, Raymond van der Howe, our goalkeeping coach, said, well... Can we still have a sandwich? <laughs> uh, no, I think it's best if you leave. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so he just invited yeah. that, uh, what's his name, Dylan? Uh, Kevin Dylan. Just yeah. straightening his tie, just, just complete, incomplete shock. Yeah. Vanderhaar was still in looking for sandwiches. I like his style. Yeah, look, I mean, I suppose he, he had nothing to do with it. He, <laughs> I mean, it's not my fault, <laughs> yeah. you know? That's a, very, that's a really telling story because yeah. I had, uh, the extracts that were, that, the journalists decided were the most interesting ones or maybe just the first ones they got to in the book and hence they were the first that came out having fights with Peter Schmeichel who cares everyone knew they hated each other yeah. it turns out it once came, became physical the, the stuff about Ferguson unless he comes out with anything revelatory it's not going to be hugely interesting but a, a lot of the even even the, the, the early bits that I read that seemed to reveal his more the volcanic side of Keane seemed to be centred around his playing days and I thought maybe he'd be happy enough to portray himself as slightly mad as a player. Hmm. But as a manager, I would have thought that he he wouldn't want to put a story like that in because chairmen don't really want usually want to employ managers who go around 
putting people's heads on tables and putting their tie up. Well, the thing about that story is that... Um, Go what, no anchor, though, you know? <laughs> while it might be the first time that we've heard it, uh, I, I imagine that there are quite a lot of people in the game itself who... Those sort of things story are like that okay, is yeah, going to yeah. get around. I mean, every every single person who saw that told 10 people who told 10 people who told... And that's, I'm just talking about what happened that but evening. But do you know my point? I, I, I thought that he, and maybe elsewhere in the book, he does present himself as a, a calm figure as a manager because that's certainly the way he looked on the sideline. He was mm. always... But, you know, you, there were always stories behind the scenes that maybe yeah. having one or two pistols. I mean, what, what really comes out in this, I think, is the sort of the sense of... Uh, insecurity a lot of the time you know i mean he saw he he uh he has a very emotional i mean this is not news he has a quite an emotional view of the take on the world you know i mean uh, he talks about ferguson not having any warmth you know everything is business and that was his that was his strength you know this lack of warmth that ferguson had and you can kind of see that like ferguson was was a person who's able to you know run a big organization kind of with his thinking about what to do unclouded by you know Certainly, he's not wandering around the training ground, as Roy Keane reports himself to have done at Sunderland, looking at people and wondering, do they like me or don't they like me? You know, Ferguson doesn't care about that. All he knows is, I'm the boss. You know, it doesn't matter whether that person likes me or not. All that matters is, are they doing their job? You know, can I, can I work with them? Keane is literally thinking about right. this kind of yeah. stuff, you know, the, which, is, which is very difficult then, you know, because if you're in a situation where you, you naturally have quite a negative... Uh, Negative, it is a, a negative cast of mind. You know, he's a kind of a glass half empty kind of guy. His tendency is to look at people and to think, that person, that person doesn't like me. <laughs> you know, I can't trust that person. I can't work. You know what I mean? Mm. It, it becomes like this, uh, it becomes a big problem. You know, if, if, if you've got that kind of um, uh, outlook and you're, you're in a job like that where you've, where you've got to run an organization with lots and lots of people, many of whom you, you can't know that well. Mm. You know, if you if you've got if, if you kind of feel like you have to trust them completely or they have to like you, sounds like we are getting in, we are getting new stuff on Keane then because that that was the worry. That yeah, maybe it would be some, a lot of the same old. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't I haven't completely read the I've read read. You're on page two hundred nine there. Two hundred nine. So there's what? So there's nearly three hundred pages. I mean, so so I'm just, uh, he's still at Sunderland. We haven't got to the bit where he leaves Sunderland yet, and, and everything so far has been very positive at Sunderland. Well, we will let you chip away at that, and you'll have a finish in time for Keane's press conference this afternoon. We're heading along to that, and we'll bring you the highlights in our football podcast. If that book has dominated the headlines here, the autobiography of Kevin Peterson has landed like a bomb in the middle of the British sports media. It's pit a teammate against teammate, Piers Morgan against all the KP haters, and the BBC's cricket correspondent, Jonathan Agnew, against Jessica Taylor from the band Liberty X. <laughs> yes, there's been a rather surreal fallout to the... A former English cricketer's book. We'll talk about that. And we're going to chat about the new Dublin hurling manager, Jer Cunningham, with Chrissy O'Connor, who knows the man very well. Cunningham, a complete legend of Cork hurling. Yeah, yeah well, played in goals for Cork for 20 years, which is uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, if you're in a discussion about the greatest goalkeepers, uh, I mean, if you're picking the greatest goalkeeper of all time in hurling, you're probably not looking too far from the last, 15 years in Brendan Cummins, David Fitzgerald, Don Logue. But outside that, Jer Cunningham is, is, is right up there. Right up there. So a real icon of the game. Yeah, and he's done plenty as a coach and manager. Yeah, huge amount with Cork. Yeah, like yeah, at, at, in 
three di- in he has to just disappear Dublin, Dublin fans go hang on a second this yeah. guy was a great goalkeeper 15-20 years ago that's uh, no yeah, good to me All-Ireland winning goalkeeping coach and selector with the, yep. the Cork team and big part of JBM's back, J- Jimmy Barry Murphy a lot of stuff at college level as well so yeah, yeah we'll talk to Chrissy about that but let's start with Peterson might as well uh, it's all about books at the moment Gabriele Mercotti has watched this story closely uh, particularly the fallout and joins us now Gabriele the early indications with the Roy Keane book was that it was going to be 300 pages of score settling and nothing but and it turns out there's a lot more to it than that what about the KP book is this the real thing um, I, I don't know. I, I'm always sort of fascinated. I, I almost because you know I'm I'm not a cricket guy. I, I have a, you know, I, I had a superficial knowledge of what was going on at the time. But I've sort of studied this. I think from the outside, it's all been been kind of new to me. And the um, the, the all, all the layers to it, I, I find remarkable. And and I sort of wonder, you know, and I know I'm not the first person to say this. Like, would this have happened in football in the same way? Um, well, you can, would a footballer? Can you just, yeah, can you describe what's happened for us? Because a lot of us uh, over here. This is Ireland. Yeah, this is Ireland. We've all had our heads buried in Roy Keane, as though he's the only sportsman <laughs> right. in the world. So, w- w- what, are, what are the layers you're talking about? What's Peterson actually done in this book? Well, I mean, I, I think he, um, he, he he's extremely open. He's extremely open about how you know he, he was hurt by by what he saw, some of the bullying. He complained, and it seemed to really affect him. That um, you know, flower. Who uh, was I guess was um, was his selector was was sort of this this very dark joyless person, and and he talks very candidly about sort of his own insecurities uh, within the England setup, uh, and then of course these were all compounded by these extraordinary uh, events where I, it almost sounds like I'm making this up, but I'm not. But that, that somebody created a um, a parody Twitter account for him. Uh, called KP Gold, and as it turns out, uh, according to uh, to Peterson, um, it's at least three of his England teammates had access to that account, or, or, or and or were feeding the guy who was uh, tweeting stuff in the account because they had information which kind of like mocked him. But, you know, it was stuff that was clearly coming from inside the dressing room. Yeah, the, and, and the players talked. have denied it, uh, just to have that yeah, out there. No, no, yeah, the, yeah I, I should point this out. The, 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 yeah, you're correct. The, the players deny it. Um, there, there's a man named Richard Bailey who apparently was, was friends with, with one of the players who, um, according to Peterson in his book, he said that uh, he found out from, from Alex Stewart. And this guy Bailey told Alex Stewart. Um, Bailey has since denied it. Alex Stewart came on the radio last night. Uh, in fact, it was on Five Live. I was on as well. I, you know, effectively saying, uh, you know, nobody calls me a liar. <laughs> you know, right. um, uh, so. But whatever the case was, I just I would find it difficult to imagine a, a, a footballer, you know, in a footballing ethos, you know, coming out so candidly and talking about being hurt and, and trusting teammates and and so on. I, I know obviously trust is just as important in a in a football dressing room, but. I would imagine things would get sorted in a different way. How so? Well, I mean, let me put it this way. Uh, you, let me just put a hypothetical to you. Mm. Imagine somebody walks up to Roy Keane and says, Hey, Roy, you see this, this, you know, this, this, uh, this Twitter account called, uh, you know, Mad Kino. Yeah. Um, Gary Neville, <laughs> Nicky Butt, and, uh, and, and Phil Neville are behind it. What do you think he would do then? Do you think he'd be like, oh, that's really disappointing. I'm going to get really upset about this, but I'll hang around a couple of years and then write about it in my biography. Or do you think he'd turn them into little puddles of oil? 
That's it's really bizarre that he kind of. Uh, I mean, how how was this issue not brought to a head at the time? I, I it's, it's it's the weirdness of the the the, the England uh, England cricket board. Um, I mean, I, leaving aside the you know the the, the 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 bizarre situation of a of a professional athlete being upset by a Twitter parody account. Um, I, I mean, it's. I don't know. I I I just feel like it's um you know it's a different sphere, and then and then it just keeps going, and and then there's new there's new things every day. Last night, uh, you guys may be across this, but but Jonathan Agnew, who's um, Five Lives a uh, uh, cricket cor- or sorry the BBC's cricket correspondent, um, he got into it on Twitter with uh, uh, I guess it's uh, Kevin Peterson's better half, who's uh, a singer with a pop group uh, um, Liberty X. And they had this back and forth on Twitter, at the end of which uh, Agnew quits cricket. Quits Twitter. That would have been a huge no, reaction. No, that would have been something. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I just find it extraordinary. This is all paid out in public. And I look at this and I say, either this is a gigantic car crash or, you know, there is some PR genius orchestrating everything in the shadows. There, uh, like any of these books, I guess. I mean, there there are some points within it that are genuinely should be talked about. I think within sport because he he talks about you said his own insecurities there. He actually says that there's bullying in the England dressing room. Now they've lined up to say that that's not the case. There's no bullying going on in the dressing room. But Ricky Ponting, among others, has come out. Uh, the former Australia captain said, "Well, yeah, actually, uh, there is a bullying culture in in the England team." So that and if there well, is, that's I, something that's probably worth talking about. I, first of all, and again, I'm not a cricket guy, and I yeah. start to be corrected. Uh, as far as I know, Ricky Ponting has an enormous raft of issues. Um, also, as far as I know, he wasn't in the England dressing room, uh, so he's dealing with hearsay. Uh, but that said, uh, I mean, the thing about bullying is if you feel bullied, then there's either a problem with you or there's a problem with people bullying you and not considering it bullying. Um, you know, again, or, or, there I, people, or there are people bullying you who know they're bullying you, as you know, I'm sure. Yeah, or, or that's even worse. Yeah, or you have, but I mean, this is one of the extraordinary things to me that I couldn't wrap my head around. Um, and, and Alex Stewart touched upon this uh, this last night. You know, you you talk about the the meaning of of the word team, right? And and, and these people do this for a living. I mean, now let's face it, the vast majority of these guys, this is the highlight of their life. They're not going to go on to to do anything particularly uh, uh, particularly special, right? So professionally, at least, this is the single biggest thing they do in their life. Most of these people, I would presume, have played cricket or some form of sport, a team sport, from a very young age. Um, now, I've never played cricket, but every sport I've played, and uh, it, the, the, the team ethos is drilled into you from day one, and the importance of teamwork and supporting your teammates, and, and the fact that you know there is a time to have a go, and, and, and there's a time... Uh, to be constructive and and, 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 and and be supportive and nurturing and all this stuff. How these guys could go on tour and, and live with him and think that everything was okay and think that, you know, their behavior towards him or indeed his behavior towards them, that everything was fine. Um, I, I, I just find it extraordinary. You know, I, I, I don't know of, of, of any other team. I mean, you, you have team. I mean, look, think back to Manchester United, all the, the, the Andy Cole, Teddy Sheringham stuff, how they, they didn't talk to each other for, for, for something like nine months, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Well, 
on the pitch they talked to each other. They didn't let it spill over and, and, and ruin the team, and they went out and they wanted trouble, right? I mean, this is how mature people deal with it. Well, but not yeah, even mature people. I, I, well, people have yeah. been raised with sport, you know. I don't, the only there's a there's an interesting uh, maybe difference there between in terms of how issues like that might might become so deep rooted within cricket because as you mentioned there they're away on tour together the whole time they're at least Teddy Sheringham and and Andy Cole they have to see each other every day at training and stay at the odd hotel but uh, they weren't spending months on the road together in the way that a, a band does before they break up so I don't know is that is that maybe part of it as well but but but, but I think if anything that makes it worse I think if anything the 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 proximity um, would push you to to resolve this issue, um, or, or 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 at least to address this issue, which you know from every indication is that is that it was never it was never addressed. And it wasn't addressed from both sides. I, incidentally, I mean, if Peterson felt he was uh, he was being bullied, um, he had a responsibility to come out and do something about it. I mean, and 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 I think. That applies to to everybody because even if you say, "Look, I'm strong enough that I can handle the bullying," well, maybe the you know the next player next to you might not be strong enough. Um, so I, either way, I I think it was just a a try. Well, either way, it's one of two things: either somebody here is just telling uh, enormous porkers, or there was a tremendous dereliction of uh, of duties. Uh, Gabriel, what do you make of the the whole idea in general of these kind of autobiographies, which which are settling scores and and um, I mean, for for instance, uh, at the moment there's there's some quotes going around from Pablo Cunhago, uh, who is uh, one of the players who was at Ipswich when Roy Keane was there. They're honestly the, they're the most critical things I've, I think I've ever read anyone in football say about another person in football. And this is obviously provoked by the fact that Keane makes disparaging references to Cunhago. In in his book, so you can see, well, the guys having having a go back, and you know who can a who, very detailed go back. It, it seems to me that that this this doesn't really get Roy Keane anywhere. I mean, I know you've done books with people. You did a book with Gab, uh, with not with Gabriel Marcotti, with um, with Gianluca Vialli. I don't remember him. In, I don't remember him insulting anyone in that book. I don't remember him have, having a go at anyone. Why did you guys make the decision not to do that? Well, we still managed to get sued, by the way. But um, <laughs> no, <laughs> seriously. Um, well, so can you well, can you? Things. I mean, my my. <laughs> Collaboration with Gianluca Vialli it was not, um, you know, it was not a biography. It was not an autobiography. Yeah, I mean, it was a book about um, his views on his, his kind of views on football. But it's still, you know, it's it's, it's and, it had a certain amount yeah, of his life in football. He could have insulted no, no, it people. Did. Oh, it did, and but it just didn't fit the book because most of the book was us spending time with people like Sir Alex Ferguson and Fabio Capello and Jose Mourinho and Arsene Wenger and and, and so on, and trying to you know trying to, to going on sort of a journey um, of, of discovery of football. Uh, but that said, you know, I, I asked Luca this, Hey, you know, how about you write a proper autobiography? And he said, you know what? I, I just kind of, you know, believe that what's in the dressing room stays in the dressing room. Um, and I, I don't see the benefit of, of coming out, you know, in book form. If, if, if I had something to say, and then, you know, Luca's generally a guy who got on with most people most of the time, you know, you, you address it at the time. You know, you don't kind of wait five years, let it fester, and then give your side of the story. Yeah. Now, that's his own, his own personal, his personal ethos. I, the, the one autobiography I did do, of course, and this was a long time ago, in the last millennium, in fact, with, uh, with Paolo Di Canio, where, you know, he was incredibly forthcoming uh, about everything, but except for uh, stuff to do with Paul Alcock and, and, and what, he, what he pushed the referee, 
He, it was all stuff that he's he basically... He pushed Capello uh, over, as far as I remember, didn't he? He pushed Capello yeah, into yeah, a yeah, band yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He pushed Capello. Yeah, no, no. He also got into a fist fight with Ron Atkinson and... Trapattoni. Ronnie Trapattoni as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Trapattoni was old back then, too. You know, <laughs> Trapattoni's been old for a long time. Um, but, uh, it, you know, but none of this stuff was was new. It's not like he, he kind of revealed things that people people didn't know. The only stuff that... It was new was his side of the story of the Paul Alcock incident because obviously he hadn't he hadn't spoken about that. Um, I, I I don't know. There is something about you know, look, problem arises. Okay, I don't speak about it at the time. You know why they don't speak about it at the time? In in some cases, I'm not suggesting that this is um, the case with Roy Keane because I wouldn't want him to hunt me down. But um, a lot of times people don't speak about it at the time because you know they might have left the club and they might have taken money to uh, to not speak for x amount of years or whatever else there's a lot of stuff that that goes into that i for me personally if you're so upset about certain things uh if you haven't let somebody know that you're upset or angry with them and, and you keep it in for all those years um i i think you know it's it's, it's a curious way of and an unhealthy way of dealing with things um, yeah, I mean, you've been in the sports journalism game a while now, Gabriele. Have you, have you have you been keeping notes on various enemies that you've made? I mean, there must be there must be a few. The Pablo Cunagos, the the Graham Swans of the sports <laughs> journalistic firm. Maybe maybe one day, maybe one day a sports journalist will do it because I, I can't remember sports journalists ever doing a searingly honest sports person type autobiography where they attack loads of other people in their profession. Where they tag uh, loads of other sports journalists. Yeah. I, I mean, apart from the fact no one would no one would read it, I don't understand why. Why not? Yeah, it would be a very very limited uh, readership. I, I don't know. I mean, I I just kind of think that, you know, if you have a problem, you deal with it at the time. Um, the only situation where it might not be the case is, you know, if you have a major problem with your boss and you're worried that, you know, you'll lose your job and you won't be able to feed your family or whatever. So you wait till the bloke retires and then you come out or, but you know, this isn't the case with footballers. And, and then I also think one of the things that, that, that people often mention is, you know, the, Oh, they do this because, you know, they want the money because they're greedy. Now I, I know how much I got for the books I worked on. And, and obviously I, you know, I, I never did a, a Roy Keane or, or, or whatever caliber book. But certainly as far as the footballers are concerned, as far as Roy Keane is concerned, um, this he's not doing this for money. Because while he's certainly handsomely pay, paid, and you guys might know what, what his advance was or what his reported advance was, um, it's, it, it's not so big that it's going to make a difference to his life. Uh, you know, in the case of somebody who's made a lot of money like Keen has and, and, and who's been relatively responsible with his, uh, with, with his finances. Uh, so they don't do this for money. I, I think they just do this to, I don't know, whether to, to, to get talked about, to get things off their chest after the fact. I, I don't know. Just lastly, Gabriele, the model, the Roy Keen and Alex Ferguson model from last year of uh, jealously guarding the book until the release date and then feeding it to journalists on the morning to speed read and ask questions. It seems to have backfired this time because of the leak. But has that actually opened up the, the issues with that process? Because uh, it's, it, I don't know how happy or otherwise the publishers are with the, the way the week has been, but it seems just a little bit surreal that we're finally, the Roy Keane book is out today, but people have been... Um, tweeting bits from from Monday afternoon. Yeah, well, I mean, as a rule of thumb, what what publishers do is they um, they calculate 
if you're, you know, if you're a sports celebrity, they calculate the value of your advance based on what they think they can get from the serial rights. So, you know, they're kind of covered. I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't go out to buy the Kevin Peterson book because, as I said, I, I think all the most interesting things are out there, and what's interesting now is kind of the the reaction uh, to Peterson. Yeah. Um, I I did buy Sir Alex's second book. I, I thought that you know the first book was one of the best football books I've ever read. The, the second book I thought was thoroughly mediocre. Um, you know the, the Roy Keane book. I I honestly don't know if it's um, if it's something that's you know I just feel like all the funny bits are out. You know, some of this stuff also, I don't know, uh, the, 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 the stuff in the shower, the stuff with Robbie Savage, it almost kind of like, you almost kind of expected it, you know, when you, when you read it. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, it may well be that, you know, my, my need to know about Roy Keane's been satisfied at this point. I don't know. I think come Christmas time, Gabriele, when you, when you get bombarded with the, all the, the second wave of um, advertising promotion, you'll end up probably reading a few words. But listen, we'll leave it there. Great to talk to you. Cheers. My pleasure. All right. That's, that's good manners. players have played but are still in the squad I wonder did you speak to any of them before deciding to accept the job no absolutely not no no, no obviously none of their business you know what I was going to do it's a ridiculous question <laughs> we want to win football matches there's nothing to tame you know some sort of animal you know what I mean I mean, you obviously don't know Martin as well as you think you do he makes me look like Mother Teresa you know he's um, I don't know we want to win football matches we've had a lovely few days the hotel's been lovely Food's been excellent. Training ground is lovely. No potholes. Uh, we've had footballs. It's been great. Bibs, everything. It's been major progress. And we want to win football matches. Amazed that Gabriele managed to write an autobiography of Paolo Di Canio, which didn't feature a lot of... Well, maybe maybe Di Canio is very different from Kim. Maybe he doesn't feel the need uh, mm. to sell scores in the way that Peterson does. He strikes me as a man who would... He would store things up. Yeah, he, Actually, he, he wouldn't store them up. He would just, um, he would explode, but yeah. then continue to feel resentment afterwards. Yeah, he, he I mean, Trapattoni, this is the scene with Trapattoni, and that was unbelievable. I mean, Trapattoni said something like, uh, I mean, Di Canio was, you can imagine he wasn't one of Trapattoni's favourite players, just in a, in, a, in a technical sense, you know. He's a kind of uh, a live wire uh, attacker with a lot of flair, um, who would try and do a lot of off-the-cuff things, and we all know what Gio- Gio- the kind of player Giovanni Trapattoni uh, prefers. Um, so Di Canio's getting more and more frustrated with him, and eventually he explodes at Trapattoni. I think it was everyone Everyone was getting a game or something, some friendly, and everyone was getting put on as a sub, apart from Di Canio, was just sitting there, like, you know, really humiliating as he felt it. He thought, everyone is looking over at me, Di Canio, sitting here on the bench, the last man, you know, not picked, not, not picked to play. Where, of course... Probably nobody else was thinking about Di Canio. When, he, when does anyone ever think about who's on the bench when you're playing mm. in a football match? Nobody, nobody no. cares. Obviously, Di Canio was thinking a lot about Di Canio. Trapattoni doesn't care. And then Di Canio is like, you know, they, so they end up having a, 
having a row or the kind of shouting a trap, who then hits at him something like, what kind of people brought you up? You know, what kind of, you know, how, how dare you speak to me like that? You know, I don't know what, where, you know, what your people were like, but I mean, they mm. didn't do a very good job. And he literally uh, pushes Trapatoni over into a bin full of, full of clothes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and you can imagine Trapatoni's reaction to that. Like, he wouldn't have liked that very much. So they didn't, um, they didn't have a good relationship. But I think, again, as, as, as Mercotti was referring to there, um, maybe that was a story that was that was known. No, maybe not as famous as the Alcock thing because there was actual footage of that. But it wasn't as though there was a big revelation from De Canio that that had happened. We haven't done this for a while. That's right. You're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there. You got the potatoes yeah. and the puchine. Huh? And the puchine. Oh yeah, there you are. Born and bred, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. Yes, 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 on it. Pierce Brosnan, Evergreen Shadow Time, you dummies. And uh, when it comes to the length one is supposed to go to for these Pierce Brosnan t shirts, don't forget, by the way, there are Pierce Brosnan t shirts on the go for this. Uh, we can say, without fear of contradiction, I think, that Dr. David Dorn is numero uno in our book. Dr. Double D. Yeah, we uh, tweeted a photo of him last week, and uh, he has followed up with an email. Hi, lads, thanks for the retweet last week at Dr. David Dorn. Doctors like mentioning that they're doctors, don't they? <laughs> uh, I'm just back from a brief emigration to Tanzania on the east coast of Africa, where, as the team physician, mention of a doctor, I helped to lead a group of lads and ladies, not doctors, it's not, it doesn't stand, but I'm... <laughs> he would have mentioned, mentioned that. He would have mentioned that. A group of fellow yeah. physicians. I kept them very healthy. <laughs> to the summit of Kilimanjaro, the highest African mountain in the world. Not being the world's most intrepid traveller, but a doctor, he didn't say, I used the opportunity to grab a quick pibezo with the lead African guide, Festo, also not a doctor. It's perhaps unsurprising that it took quite some time to try to explain the concept of second captains to him. He still wasn't sure about it three days later when we finished our descent. Uh, nevertheless, I'm sure he will wear his second captain's t-shirt around the streets of Arusha with pride. I just hope no one asks him why he has pibezo written all over it in permanent marker. Uh, hopefully there will be a few more Tanzanian downloads over the next while, but I won't be holding my breath. Anyway, it'd be great if I could get a t-shirt to replace the one written all over and left behind to Festo. Uh, he's the one on the left in the picture, not the loon with the ginger beard. I think someone promised me a pencil too. I'll probably have to donate the next t-shirt to the guy on my next expedition, probably to Stock Kangri. Okay, I don't even know where that is, and this guy's really starting to show off. But anyway, I love the show. Dave. Uh, so congratulations to you, Dave. Uh, and he is a doctor, of course, ladies, so... He's quite the catch. He'll be even more desirable uh, with his new Pierce Brosnan t-shirts. You, you've earned it. So well done. I can't believe this man, this doctor. A doctor, cl- yes. Climbed to the top of the world. Yes. Well, with the sole, with the, yeah, okay. Top with, of the, Africa. with the sole purpose of um, delivering an, an impressive P-Bezzo. That could be my favourite P-Bezzo yet. Yeah, no, I, I, I have I like to say, it. you gotta got to hand it to him. The lad's done well. Ken, what's coming up on the Irish Times second cap for yes. the podcast? Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to oh, you what now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shiny man? <laughs> I think there's going to be a bit of Roy Keane talk. Yeah. Uh, we go along to his press conference, see what he's got to say, and. Um, uh, we'll also talk a bit about, it's not just all going to be keen, we're going to talk a bit about Catalan independence. Um, because uh, Specialist subject of mine, Ken. Yeah, well, look, I mean, we were it, the Scottish independence referendum I thought was really interesting. The Catalans um, took a 
big interest in that. Obviously, all urging the Scots to vote yes, <laughs> and um, you know the Spanish. Uh, the Spanish government there was was really anti the idea of Scottish independence because of the encouragement they would give to their own sort of separatist movement. Um, so Sid Lowe is going to talk to us about that and the way in which Barcelona, as one of the biggest kind of cultural institutions in Catalonia, is involved with uh, um, the whole Catalan uh, independence struggle. Okay, let's talk about the new Dublin hurling manager now. Jared Cunningham, Christy O'Connor knows the man and is ready to go. Um, Christy, I guess, well, without a shadow of a doubt, one of the great hurling icons has departed the job in Anthony Daly. Has he been replaced by another iconic character in Cunningham? Yeah, well, I think it's a very good fit for Dublin. I think it's a very good replacement. And um, I suppose it's probably, from the players' point of view, I'm sure the players are very happy because I suppose Jared fits the profile that the players wanted, you know, um, that's been very evident. I suppose if you look at the soundings that have been made over the last three or four weeks, like Danny Sutcliffe, I think put it out there about maybe three or four weeks ago that, you know, it was either Anthony Daly or higher that, you know, that they felt that, you know, okay, ideally Dublin maybe would like to, in, you know, put somebody in from, you know, the, the a Dublin background, like, so similar to Jim Gavin, that was the point Danny had made. But, you know, the players felt that that, you know, personality or that um, player of that calibre wasn't there. Um, and you know, I suppose it, you know, I suppose it was a, it was a sending out a message to the county board that they wanted a high-profile appointment. They wanted somebody with experience. Um, and I think Ger, in fairness, fits all those categories. You know, he's, you know, he's he's a lot of experience. You know, he's managed Cork under 21 teams. You know, he's involved with Donald Grady, you know, four. And I suppose look at, given what Dado had done for Dublin, and you know, he was a huge character and you know, an unbelievable manager. And I suppose really, you know, that they wanted somebody. You know, Ger isn't the, he's not the the same personality as Dale, there's not too many guys like around like Dale, but you know, I think he's he's a good fit. And really, I suppose when you look around, um, you know, you're looking for a guy who's a, who's a coaching background, who's you know, you know, Jared's worked very, you know, very diligently in UCC over the last years. You know, he's had great success with the UCC Freshers. You know, um, they won they won four Freshers titles out of six, I think. Um, he's involved with the Fitzgibbon and UCC this year. You know, he's used to bringing young players through. He understands the culture, the mindset of young players and, you know, I think that's very important as well. I think, look, at Jerry ticks a lot of boxes um, and I just think it's a good appointment for Dolan. Yeah, you mentioned that he's he's uh, a different character to, to Daly and probably a more cerebral uh, character than the sort of the messiah figure that, that, that Daly was, or Daly appeared from the outside to be from time to time. I mean, is that what you think that Dublin need for just to make the next the, the next step up? Yeah, Kieran. I suppose look at like, Dale has set the bar and he set it very high. Like, and you know, like really the structure that Dale put in place and you know the the environment and the culture he created was you know hugely hugely impressive. You know, um, just you know it, was, it, it really was. Like, I suppose Dublin. I suppose you know it's probably only in a couple of years' time. I suppose that really people will fully appreciate the Daly legacy. You know, when you look at you know where Dublin have come from. You know, since you know, when he first took over, I know people will say, well, they didn't win in All-Ireland, but, you know, they won a, you know, they won a league title after the first time in 70-odd years. You know, they won a Leicester, you know, they won a Leicester title for the first time since 61. You know, they were a very, very competitive team. Okay, they had a couple of bad years, but it, it's only, as I said, when you look back on, you know, Dado's career or Dado's time with Dublin, and I suppose look, that's, that's the challenge for Ger now, is that he's taken it to, you know, a certain level, and, and you know, Ger has to at least equal that, and, hope, you know, he'll be hoping to try and surpass it. So, you could look at their background as well. That you know, Dale, I suppose, really was the ideal fit for Dublin in so many ways because you know he was coming from a background, you know, that he could relate to a lot of these Dublin players. Because you know, like the, the first part of Dale's career was really, 
you know, it was it was spent in the badlands, the badlands that you know that the Dublin hurlers were so accustomed to. Like you know, he didn't like as Dale famously said. You know, the first night he met the Dublin players in two thousand and eight. You know, that winter two thousand eight, and he told them the story about his. Uh, you know, I told him the story about the his his debut with Clare in nineteen ninety when you know Limerick beat them by fifteen points, and he said within five years we were all Ireland champions, and he said, look at this can be done. He said, you know, and, and I think that was the one thing he brought to Dublin. He brought huge belief and. And, and I suppose, you know, he, he could relate to the to the, the Dublin players. And I suppose Gerrard is probably, in different ways, can relate to them. But Gerrard's coming from a different background. Now, look, Gerrard spent a lot of his career, too, in, 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 in tough times. Like, you know, he went, you know, the latter part of his career, you know, he spent a lot of, um, you know, five or six years without really Cork doing anything. So he can relate to that. But I suppose it's probably a different mentality or a different mindset. You know, when you come, you grow up in, you know, Cork and, you you know, you win all our minors and 21s and you win all our seniors and you win player of the year and... You know, I suppose you know you're just maybe you have that different mindset. Now, Dalo had, you know, Dalo I suppose developed it because you know he had to go through all the, you know, the tough times. But I do think that they are okay. That there are similarities, but there are you know I suppose different mindsets as well. And I think Gerald will, will look to you know to bring all that experience to bear like Dalo did. And um, but you know, and I know Gerald he obviously hasn't put his backroom team together yet. But you know, from knowing from knowing him and from you know knowing what he wants to do, like that he you know he will put a you know, a really, really impressive backroom team in place, a really impressive structure. And that was the one thing about the Cork model of 05, 06, like, the, you know, they were probably really the first, you know, ultra-modern management in, in terms of how, you know, how well they did everything, how well they covered every angle. And look, at Gerard will do that. And, they, you know, Dalo did that, you know, hugely, you know, very, very impressively. And I suppose, look, at Gerard will just try and take it on to another level. But I suppose just to finish answering your question, Morph, is that, you know, Gerard's a guy who thinks a lot about the game. You know, he's, he's you know, very, very um, astute, you know, very aware of modern trends, tactics, all of that stuff. And, um, you know, look at Dalo brought a huge amount of that to Dublin. And I suppose look at Gerard probably just trying to tweak it and maybe just advance it a little bit more if, we, you know, if he feels he can. It's all about sports books today. Also, Christy, on the show. And I know you're, or you've are you been busy writing Anthony Daly's autobiography, which is out, um, I think it's out in a couple of weeks' time. Have you, have you enjoyed the process? Yeah, it was, it was great. On It was, you know, I suppose look at, I suppose I was lucky in a way that, you know, I, I'd been involved with, you know, I'd been on board with Dalo. I suppose, I, you know, I'd worked as a goalkeeping coach with him for his six years in Dublin. And, um, you know, I suppose I, I had, you know, been, well, you know, I, was, I wasn't part of the background team. I would just go up and do sessions and, you know, but I suppose I was on the road with Dalo for a lot of that time. And I suppose really, you know, the, the road we, we, we took on the book, you know, which I had put to him and he was happy to go. It was, you know, I felt that, you know, to maybe use my, I suppose, involvement, to, you know, to, to maybe to offer a window into the dressing room and to, um, you know, to bring the reader in, and you know, he was happy to do that. And look at Dalo's, you know, yourself, that's from from talking to Dalo. Like, you know, there isn't a question that you ask him, he won't answer. So, you know, it was it was a very enjoyable experience. Um, you know, I suppose look at it's probably the 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 one thing about Dalo is you know he spent time in his company. His company, he's great crack. Like he's you know some of the the journeys home. You know, two two and a half or trip home from from Dublin to Clare, but. You know, some of those journeys that would be gone before you, you actually sometimes you wouldn't want them to end you'd nearly hope that you know the road to keep going and you know you put up outside the house here and you know you'd still be chatting for an extra half an hour so so yeah look at Dalo he was really um, he gave everything of himself and I think that the readers will see how much he put into Dublin Hurling you know how much it meant to him how professional he was how desperate he was for Dublin to succeed and um, you know I think look at it that's ultimately you know I think what, what the book really you know, I think the, the, one of the core messages is that, look, at you know, being from Clare, I suppose, look, we've had great success in the last couple of years. 
you know, especially with the under-21s, and, you know, huge, brilliant success last year with the seniors, but, you know, it's just coming from counties like, you know, Dublin and Clare, you know, it's not all about winning All-Irelands, you know, you're not going to win All-Irelands every year, and I think it's the journey and, you know, you know the, that crusade along the way and the people you meet and, you know, the, the obstacles you have to try and clear and the difficult days, and there's a lot of difficult days, and um, I think, you know, Dalo really articulates all those very well, and I think, look at, you know, I think it's, no, I think from Dero's perspective, I think he's told a good story. Great. Well, looking forward to reading. Uh, listen, Chrissy, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Pleasure, Ron. Thank you. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Richie Sadler is here. Richie, how are you? How are you, lads? How are you, lads? Richie, how are you, lads? How are you doing this week? I'm marvellous. Look at the joy on my face. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? <laughs> no, really. You know, what happened? When John was young, everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's persuaded of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. love the sound of that book uh, there's so much going on there are so many books out at the moment but the Anthony Daly story is brilliant and I didn't realise that the structure was taking was this the fact that Chrissy was along on the ride in Dublin uh, in Dublin with with uh, Anthony and takes you inside the dressing room or inside the, the psyche in that way I mean this is something that he's incredible at Chrissy. the last book he wrote was called The Club which is a superb take on his own club at home and Claire uh, previous to that it was Last Man Standing good few years back now when he uh, wrote one of the best books I've ever read on, uh, yeah. on certainly on goalkeeping but a really really good sports book um, so this, yeah it sounds brilliant yeah and it's, it's well it's kind of the uh, Paul Kimmage Brian O'Driscoll uh, kind of deal where you get the guy a guy with an absolutely brilliant story and the best guy to tell that story and that's basically what we're talking about uh, but also uh, from uh, a hurling point of view two guys who have obviously handy. spent a huge amount of time this is one of the the problems with Eamon Dunphy's uh, book Eamon Dunphy's Roy Keane book and he said it himself that he didn't actually meet up with Keane that off he did a few interviews, interviews with yeah. him and, de- and then did the book and it was, therefore maybe what didn't have as much depth as it could have I don't know how often uh, Roddy Doyle met Keane necessarily um, something maybe yeah that's a big big thing though we'll talk know, a little bit later on yeah. if you, if you want to and I think Malachy Clerkin told us this many years ago about when it comes to writing autobiographies that to get the voice of the person right that's the big big thing to just to know how it is that that guy speaks and thinks about things and trying to transfer that onto the page. Yeah. And you can't do that unless you meet these people Murph, dozens of times. I'd love to stay here discussing this topic all day, but uh, we're almost running late at this stage for Roy Keane's press conference at the Aviva Stadium. So we better head off and report back in our football podcast a little bit later on today. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thank Thanks you, again. Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much for listening. And in the meantime, get in touch with us on Twitter at Second Captains. You can also check out the website, secondcaptains.com. We'll have loads. If you're bored of Roy Keane, I'm going to warn you now, probably no point listening to the football no, podcast there's, there's later. there's a Catalan Independence. Oh, sorry, there is Catalan Independence to keep the, the Keane haters uh, at bay. Catalan Independence is really interesting stuff. Talk to you later. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.